Good morning. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to back up a few chapters from He is risen. It's been one of those areas that has been a struggle for me in looking at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And when there's just a focus on the physical, the spiritual side is missed completely. Um, I think, uh, again, I'm reading from another C.J. Mahaney book. Um, Shane, the one I had given you, 2002. Um, in between 2002 and 2006, when this was written, The Passion for Christ came out, I believe. And deep stuff. But one thing that Mahaney brings out and many others bring out, there is no camera, no film can bring out the wrath of God coming down upon our Savior, Jesus Christ, upon the abandonment that he had from his Father and upon the spiritual side of that sin being brought on Jesus Christ. There is so much there, and it's one of those areas that, you know, Lord, help me to understand it. So just backing up a few days from he has risen to go back and touch Scripture from Gethsemane. First section, um, we go to Mark. Mark and Matthew are similar. Um, Jesus' agony in Gethsemane, that's just the phrase. Mark 14, 32, and they came to, to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said, he said to his disciples, sit here while I shall pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, began to be sore amazed, to be very heavy. He said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not that I will, but what thou will. And he came and found them sleeping said unto Peter, Simon, you're sleeping. Could you not watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them sleeping again, for their eyes were heavy. Now what's they... Uh, yeah, King James. Neither wist they what to answer him. Um, and he came the third time and said unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Mark and Matthew talk about his soul being exceedingly troubled, even unto death. The verse in Luke I want to bring out is, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Even the account of John, which is interesting, all they say is he went to the garden. So those four Gospels, a little bit different each one. C.J. Mahaney, living the cross center life. It's a, a good section, but I think it's good stuff. In this garden, our Savior is beginning to confront, as never before, the ultimate and deepest agony of Calvary. 
an agony that will go infinitely beyond any physical aspects of his suffering. For Jesus, the cross will bring incomparable and unprecedented suffering of wrath and abandonment. His downward path into those unspeakable depths begin to plunge steeply in the garden called Gethsemane. And as we follow into the garden to observe him, we have to realize that what transpires here is so far beyond our depth, so far beyond our ability to comprehend. He said, I find a verse from an old hymn particularly relevant. Oh, help me understand it. Help me to take it in. What it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. We need divine assistance to take it in, to absorb deeply what bearing away our sin meant to Jesus, the Holy One. That's what we're, what we're after, what it meant to him. Let's step closer with him under the shadow of the trees. Let's watch and listen. As Jesus lies prostrate on the ground, we overhear him praying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He's making this plea repeatedly with his face to the ground. We can see sweat on his temples. He lifts his head. His expression reveals an agony so intense that his sweat is like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. His words tell us why. Remove this cup. Jesus pleads again. In this moment, there's no doubt what is dominating his heart and mind. What is this cup? It's clearly a reference to the wrath of God for your sins and mine. If we knew the scriptures as Jesus does, scriptures that no doubt have been much on his mind, in these hours, we couldn't escape this reference. Isaiah 51:17 shows us this cup in God's extended hand. It's the cup of his wrath. And for those who drink it, drink from it, it's the cup of staggering. This cup contains the full vehemence and fierceness of God's holy wrath poured out against all sin. And we discover in Scripture that it's intended for all of sinful humanity to drink. It's your cup. It's my cup. In the vivid imagery of the Old Testament, this cup is filled with fire and sulfur and a scorching wind, like some volcanic firestorm, like all the fury of the Mount, of Mount St. Helens erupted, eruption concentrated within a coffee mug. No wonder scripture says that tasting from this cup causes the drinker to stagger and be crazed. No wonder that when Jesus stares into this detestable vessel, he stumbles to the ground. That's why there's shuddering and terror, deep distress for him at this moment. In the crucible of human weakness, he's brought face to face with the abhorrent reality of bearing our iniquity and becoming the object of God's full and furious wrath. What Jesus recoils from here is not an anticipation of physical pain associated with crucifixion. Rather, it's a pain infinitely greater, the agony of being abandoned by his Father. As one Bible commentator notes, Jesus entered the garden to be with the Father for an interlude before his betrayal, but found hell rather than heaven open before him. 
Knowing the hour for his death is fast approaching. Jesus has come here in need as never before of his Father's comfort and strength. Instead, hell, utter separation from God, is thrust in his face. We hear him cry out, Father, is there an alternative? Is there any way to avoid this? If there's a way this cup could pass for me, would you please provide that to me? Silence. We can see it in his face. Jesus receives no answer to this desperate entreaty. One point, I know in Luke's account, an angel was brought to give him encouragement. But it was an angel. It wasn't his father. A second time, he pleads for an alternative to that whore of abandonment by his father. If such an alternative existed, the father would most surely provide it. But the obedient son's plea to his loving father is met with silence. Why? Listen to this verse again for the very first time. For God so loved the world that he is silent to his son's agonizing appeal. This is what bearing our sin means to him, utter distress of soul as he confronts total abandonment and absolute wrath from his father on the cross. A distress, an abandonment, and a rejection we cannot begin to grasp. In this, our Savior's darkest hour, do you recognize his love for you? Listen again to the precious and powerful words we hear him repeat to his father. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Yet not what I will, but you will. Yet what not what I will, but what you will. Jesus is saying, Father, I willingly drink this cup by your command. I'll drink it all. And he will, and he did. He'll drink all of it, leaving not a drop. Not only will he leave nothing in that cup of wrath for us to drink, but today you and I find ourselves with another cup in our hands. It's the cup of salvation. From this precious new cup, we find ourselves drinking and drinking, drinking consistently, drinking endlessly, drinking eternally. For the cup of salvation is always full and overflowing. We can drink from this cup only because Jesus spoke those words about the other cup. Yet not what I will, but what you will. I will drink it all. As we watch Jesus pray in agony in Gethsemane, he has every right to turn his tearful eyes towards you and me and shout, this is your cup, your responsibility, responsible for this. It's your sin. You drink it. This cup should rightfully be thrust into my hand and yours. But instead, Jesus freely takes it himself so that from the cross, he can look down at you and me, whisper our names and say, I drain this cup for you, for you, for you who have lived in defiance of me, who have hated me, who have opposed me. I drink it all for you. This is what our sin makes necessary. This is what's required by your pride and my pride. 
by your selfishness and my selfishness, by your disobedience and by my disobedience. Behold him. Behold his suffering and recognize his love. Let's pray. God, today, help us to understand it, to understand the resurrection, but God, the crucifixion that preceded it and all that was with it as much as we can understand through your spirit. Lord, give his ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to understand. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.